What is up, everyone? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture, and we've got a special guest with us. Uh, I've been following her for some time on social media, and I've been incredibly blessed by her poetry, her writing, um, just her perseverance uh, through some of the difficulties that life has thrown her way. Um, we've got Kina with us today on Shaping the Culture. How are you doing, Kina? Hey, doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, no, this is going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to this topic as well. So recently you put out an article um, talking about unity. And I've been thinking through having conversations about um, this, this word unity for a while. We're in Minneapolis and um, when everything happened with George Floyd over the summer, there was just a lot of division, a lot of heartbreak, um, just a lot of things happening. And so I've thought about unity for, for, for a while now and what that looks like and the importance of all of that. And so uh, reading your article, um, I was refreshed and encouraged. And I just wanted to start off by asking what led to you writing that piece um, on unity? Yeah, I mean, similar to you, I've been thinking a lot about I've been thinking about this for a while I think um the most recent thing of course being the capital insurrection um you know I was just struck by how many people and particularly those who align themselves with the political party of the insurrectionists were they were calling for unity in our country right after I mean almost like a day after <laughs> after it happened uh no justice had been done yet I mean at least one police officer's debt was dead at that time and um you know the lives of those at the capitol and particularly those who were being targeted by that mob uh were and are forever traumatized um not to mention our democracy was undermined and all of those things, but people were saying and are still saying things along the lines of, uh, we just need to move past this and unite. Um, and, and that obviously requires us to ask, well, what, what do you mean by unity then? Yeah. Um, but really like you, I mean, the capital insurrection wasn't the first time I've thought about what do you mean by unity? Mm -hmm. I've seen it um, in the context of particularly majority white local churches uh, where those who like mourn police brutality and call for racial justice, which are usually my black and, and brown brothers and sisters are deemed divisive. And they're dismissed, silenced, ostracized for supposedly caring about worldly concerns and or even a different gospel altogether. And those sorts of accusations start to fly. Um, and I've seen my own friends get told by their church leadership that they shouldn't bring these issues up for the sake of the unity of the church. Um, and then, like I mentioned in the article, I mean, there's story upon story of sexual abuse cases in the church, the whole hashtag church to um, movement. And, and you mean, you could go look up that hashtag if you don't know about that and, and read those stories for yourself. But, uh, you know, many cases where church leadership would cover up the sexual abuse that happened by a minister oftentimes um, by telling the abused person to just, you know, Matthew 18, the situation. In other words, to sit down with their abuser and confront the situation in order to squash it, uh, neglecting to actually involve the authorities as they should. And then sometimes placing the blame on the victim, which is usually girls and, and women for supposedly seducing their abuser. Um, and, you know, these cover up stories within churches and ministries, they're often justified in the minds of leadership as this attempt to maintain unity. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, and of course that dynamic doesn't just happen within churches, but institutions, organizations, families. We saw that, you know, most recently with Ravi Zacharias and ours in ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, and then too, just being a woman who ministers to mostly women, um, the stories I've heard from my friends about their own experiences with sexual abuse and the ways that they were instructed to cover it up or blame themselves. I mean, it would just, it would break your heart. It, it's like, and it's not unique to them. I think it's like one in six women, uh, American women are, have been a victim of rape or, or an attempt at rape um, at some point in their life. So all that to say, I mean, I've been thinking about unity and, and what it's supposed to look like in the church uh, for a while. Yeah, no, that's so good. There, that's a lot of heavy stuff that you brought to the to the conversation. And yeah, it's just the last couple of years, a lot of things have been exposed. A lot of things have been um, unraveling and it just seems like there's so much darkness, um, all around us. And, uh, you're right. I, you know, I, I get the sense that we are too quick to, um, call for unity or in, in our attempt to be unified, we're not necessarily thinking about, um, what unity actually means. Um, and some people want to, uh, have cheap unity uh, where there's no justice involved and uh, there's no confrontation and there's no repentance, there's no restitution, all of those things. And so um, just so that we're all on the same page, because maybe somebody's tuning in right now and they have an idea of, of the term unity that's not uh, congruent or uh, that aligns with maybe what we're talking about. What would you say is unity? How would you biblically define unity so that we're all on the same page moving forward? Yeah, and I like how you said cheap, uh, what'd you say, cheap unity, because it reminds me of that phrase, cheap grace, which is essentially the same thing, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, so I mean, with pretty much everything in the Christian faith, you got to start with the Trinity. The -hmm. fact that our God is one God who's eternally existed as three persons, father, son, and spirit. And the Trinity is the basis and foundation for unity because God is a diversity within himself. Um, And yet he's perfectly unified in purpose and purity and love. Um, And when you look at like Ephesians 1, God's eternal purpose for all of history, he says in um, verse nine and 10, is that he set, uh, he set forth in Christ a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So in other words, the unifying of everything under Christ has always been God's plan. And it's going to be cosmically realized when Christ returns as, um, you know, Philippians two talks about every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the father. So you have to start with the the Trinity and, and then of course the eternal purpose of God to unify all things under Christ. And when you think of, you know, the garden of Eden, the beginning, Adam and Eve enjoyed this sort of unity and friendship with God in the garden of Eden. Um, but that unity was disrupted by their sin. Yeah. Uh, Christ comes to unify us with God. So, I mean, anytime in scripture that you see that phrase in Christ or in him, it's talking about our spiritual union with Jesus. So to be in Christ means to have union with him. His death to sin is now your death to sin. His resurrection is your resurrection. Romans 6 talks about this, of what he achieved 
um, in his perfectly righteous life is now rewarded to you. Um, And this means, I mean, he's the son of God, right? So he, he has, as a father gives a son an inheritance. Now us being in Christ, we're unified with him. It means we get all the spiritual blessings that are listed out in Ephesians one, for example, like, for example, the being adopted as sons to the father, treated as heirs to the King of Kings, heirs of God, heirs uh, with Christ as, as Romans eight talks about. Um, so Christian unity is really, as I say this in the article is, is basically the result of, of God bringing together people from differing and diverse backgrounds, ethnicity, social classes, all into one family or one body by faith in Christ. So um, the, the thing is that it's like an already not yet sort of uh, situation here. When we talk about unity, that the church's unity is already a spiritual reality, but it's not yet fully realized. Um, so my favorite passage on unity is John 17. That's, you know, Jesus's high priestly pr- prayer. And in it, you see the profound goal of unity that Christ is both has both achieved and yet he's still praying for um, for the church. So he he prays. I'll just quote it here. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So there's your, you know, the Trinity as the foundation of unit of unity. And then he prays. I don't I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So that's us today, everyone who came after those original disciples. And he prays that they may all be one, Mm -hmm. just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that, and then there's your purpose clause, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then this is the crazy part. This is when we talk about, the intertrinitarian glory before the foundation of the world that has always existed. He says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them in the church looks like he says that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. So, I mean, we could spend the whole time literally just talking about that passage, but our unity in the church reflects the glorious unity of the Trinity to the effect that a watching world is actually compelled to believe the truth of the gospel. Um, And that's how crucial and beautiful unity, Christian unity is. And you see it fleshed out in the book of Acts. I mean, Acts 2, for example, um, this Christian unity we see in, in, throughout the epistles and the book of Acts, of course, is it's, it's powered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit unites us first in the truth of God's word, which we also see in John 17. Um, he also unites us with a shared mission, right? The Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. Um, he unites us with bro- brotherly affection and service to each other. And he unites us through reconciliation with each other so reconciliation by that i mean like ephesians 2 where he's talking about gentiles and jews bringing two opposing groups together into one body but also reconciliation in the sense that if i sin against you that he's he's given us the the spirit to be able to confess that to repent of it to to forgive and, and to reconcile so yeah. um that was a long-winded way <laughs> of saying unity is, is founded in the Trinity. 
Um, and it, it's, it's a beautiful spiritual reality that we get to live out now and then ultimately in its fullness later as the church. So good. There's so many things that you just said that we could unpack and spend the rest of the time on. I'm particularly drawn to what you said about um, how the Godhead is living within unity. There are three persons, one God. They're all different, right? Jesus's role looks different. The Holy Spirit's, the Father's role, they're all different. And oftentimes um, in church context, uh, unity looks like assimilation, where if, if, if we... If we're pushing for unity, it means sameness, like oneness is sameness in a lot of the cases. And if, if God is the example of unity, you see that God is not same within himself. There's a community and there's three different persons. And I think or, um, unity is much richer when there is diversity. And so I did want to ask you, um, why is it that you think... Um, we don't have room for differences. Uh, there's no distinction that when we say unity, what we really mean is we got to have the same thoughts. We got to have the same culture. We've got to have the same preferences. We've got to have the same worship background. Um, it just seems like the, the call for unity is not necessarily a celebration of our differences, but a call to sameness and uh, oneness or unity is not sameness. And so, um, yeah, what, what is it going to look like to celebrate differences while at the same time being one and being united? That's good. So, I mean, first, I think one of the reasons why we don't, why we sometimes confuse unity with uniformity is that it's just easier. It's just easier to, <laughs> to be uniform. I just, you yeah. know, I'm going to, my natural self is just going to be inclined to only engage with people who look like me, who talk like me, who have the same interests as me. Um, so it's easier, but, and, and so when we're not doing that, like, or when we are confusing unity with uniformity, it's like, it's kind of betraying the fact that we maybe aren't as connected to the spirit as we should be, mm -hmm. um, because it's the spirit's work in, in, in us. And it kind of betrays the fact that we're maybe not as aware of scripture as we, like to think that we are. Um, and yeah, I mean, you see that happen all the time in spiritually abusive churches or just, just again, churches that, that kind of make unity to be about partisan allegiance or conflating um, your cultural norms with spiritual uh, truth or practices. Um, but in contrast, the biblical model or the, like the, the ultimate view of that is Revelation 7, 9 to 10, this beautiful picture of diversity and unity that, again, God has eternally planned and pursued. So the Apostle John says in Revelation 7, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that's such a beautiful passage. They're unified in their worship of the lamb, but they're diverse in their backgrounds. And apparently when you look, look at that, we apparently maintain our cultural and ethnic distinctions in heaven. So yeah. if that's how God wanted it, because again, it reflects something about the Trinity and it shows off God's creativity. It shows off how far reaching the gospel is. Um, if that's how we wanted it, then we should celebrate it. And also because it's, proof that Jesus really is the promised seed of Abraham. 
through which God intended to bless all the families, all the nations of the earth in, in Genesis 12. So when we try to erase those distinctions as though they don't matter, um, as though they're not valuable, uh, then we're kind of, in a sense, taking a, a jab at the biblical story mm. and and the beauty of it, really. So, uh, and then you think about too, like, probably don't have as much time to go into this, but Acts 15, um, the Jerusalem Council, I think that teaches us something about the difference between unity and uniformity. Uh, these Jewish Christians are struggling with, they were struggling with like whether or not they should require Gentile Christians to get circumcised or follow other Jewish practices. And in short, as I said in the article, any sort of call to unity that requires like partisan allegiance, discarding one's heritage, conflating cultural, social class norms with spiritual obligations, that's not a call to biblical unity. It's a call to assimilation, as you said, or uniformity. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. That's so good. Um, you also said in your article that unity in and of itself is not the goal. Unity with the truth of Christ is. And so I wanted to ask you, why do you think some want unity without the truth of Christ? <laughs> mm. uh, well, that's, that's an easy one. Uh, the, the fall, I mean, Adam and Eve, I, I mean, you see in today's time as well as in scripture, that unity is beneficial in that it, you know, in order to accomplish some shared goal, but that shared goal may or may not be in alignment with the truth of Christ. So to answer your question, ever since Adam and Eve yeah. decided to be unified with the snake in rebellion to God, mm. uh, we've pursued unity as a way oftentimes to ultimately rebel against God. And you see that perfectly in the Tower of Babel situation. All this, the people of the earth had one language and they were unified, yeah. which Again, that's in and of itself isn't the goal, but they were unified against God. And he yeah. told them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, spread out, in other words. And they say to themselves, well, look, come, let's build us, uh, you know, a city and a tower and it's going to go to the heavens and we're going to make a name for ourselves uh, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole world. So there's your disobedience that we don't want to obey God. So we're going to be unified in rebellion to him. And of course, God, he affirms the fact that unity can be used for evil. He says, behold, they are one people, they're unified, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they'll do. And nothing that they propose to do now will be impossible for them. So he has to go down there and confuse their language. <clears throat> so and then you see that with Herod and Pilate, they team up their political en enemies, they team up against Jesus, because it was politically beneficial for them to do so. But it wasn't godly, <laughs> obviously. Um, so yeah, sometimes we use the vehicle of unity for evil simply because of our sin nature. We see it as convenient, maybe a means to achieving our own glory apart from God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. Another piece that you tackled in the article, and this is something that resonated with me heavily, uh, is this idea that you can't have unity without constitution. Um, you brought up the story of Zacchaeus and how Zacchaeus, when he repented, um, he, he, he showed that he repented by um, restoring 
what he took from people. Um, and not only did he give back what he took, but four times over, uh, he restored what he gave back. And, and I think a lot of times, I know you mentioned, you know, with the church to movement, you know, the, the case that came up with Ravi, we've got other uh, leaders in the church, you know, that, yeah, there's just abuse running rampant. And those are just the, the ones that we know of. There's abuse that is happening on a smaller scale or a micro scale all over the place. And like you said earlier, uh, we just, we just want to say, Hey, forget about it. Just say, say your piece and let's move on without really dealing with whatever has hurt people, whatever has um, harmed people, whatever has traumatized people. And so what does it look like to include restitution in our pursuits of unity? And why is that essential in, in our fight for unity? That's so good. Um, so I think we, we, we want to start really with this biblical principle that we see in Old and New Testament, as you already mentioned, Zacchaeus's New Testament. So this isn't just an Old Testament reality, mm. but this principle that um, God has never been interested in offenders simply proclaiming my bad. I'm sorry, <laughs> but he's always been interested in the offended or the victimized or the oppressed. If you want to use biblical language, he's always been interested in them being made whole. Um, and we know that, you know, a lot of times those, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. People slap that, uh, you know, verse as a way to exclude the the command that God gives us to have restitution for ways that we've we've wronged people so yeah ultimately justice is in the hands of god he's gonna work it out in the end you know he'll smooth out every crooked place but that doesn't mean he hasn't given us instruction in yeah. being his agents his image bears um of his just character here and now so uh, i mean zacchaeus when he repents he says you know Behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. If I've defrauded anyone, I restore it fourfold. He's not like, uh, you know, he's not just being like extra generous. He's mm. obeying the word. He's, it's not like he's some exceptional character. Like, I mean, it's cool that he did that, but you, you, you're not really required. No, mm. like he's, he's living out. He's applying Exodus 22, probably Leviticus 6, these, these laws of restitution. Yeah. Where in those laws, it required an offender to make reparation to his defrauded neighbor before seeking the Lord's forgiveness. So the Lord's like, you know, look, you're not right with me until you make it right with the person that you've defrauded. And there are even some cases in Exodus 22 where the damage was actually unintentional. It's not like you were intentionally trying to harm your neighbor. Like there's one where if a fire starts and you're and it's, you know, you cause the fire not on purpose, but it ends up burning some of your neighbor's field, you still have to make restitution. Mm. Um, and so God, again, the principle there is that God is in the business of making us whole. Mm. So I've seen and been under teaching that twist the scriptures to pretend that grace and forgiveness somehow eliminate the need for restitution mm. and repair. And by the way, it's not just Zacchaeus who lives this out. Jesus literally teaches this in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew 5. Mm. 
He says, look, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, in other words, you've defrauded your brother in the language of Leviticus, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. That's the exact same pattern you see in Leviticus and those restitution laws in the Old Testament. So Jesus is upholding this in the kingdom ethic of, you know, New Testament believers. Um, So yeah, I mean, it's, I've seen it taught so like, and it's the same thing you said earlier, it's cheap unity and it's cheap, which is really just cheap grace. It's this misunderstanding and, and twisting of what grace is. And we see in Zacchaeus, a good example, the effect of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to recognize, whoa, mm. I defrauded my neighbor in X, Y, and Z way. Let me make sure to as far as it's up to me or as much as possible for me to make that right. And there are some situations relationally where you don't always know what that thing is. Like, you know, maybe you didn't steal money per se or steal a means for somebody to make money, but it's still on you to go to that person and say, look, Mm -hmm. I realize I messed up. I am not only am I sorry, but I'm asking you, how can I make this right? And as much as I possibly can, I will listen, you know, listen to what you're saying and try to do that thing Mm -hmm. because I want to see you not just, you know, slapped with an apology, but like restored, made whole. It's always that principle. God is, is wanting to make us whole. Yeah. That's so good. As you're speaking, I'm, I'm thinking of maybe how one would oppose this and maybe their responses. Isn't that earning grace or earning repentance? Like it almost kind of sounds like Zacchaeus is trying to pay back for his sins or Zacchaeus mm. is trying to pay back for everything he's done wrong. Like, what do you think the difference is like this? Cause this isn't uh, Zacchaeus trying to earn his salvation. This is a response to his salvation. Um, but how do you, because I could see it easily being mixed up or entangled and one being mistaken for the other. So how do we properly see it so that we don't mistake what it is that's actually required of us? That's good. So good works are good. It's not that they're bad. Sometimes we mix that up when we like read Romans. We're like, oh, wait, so good works. We just forget about them. Yeah. And he's, I mean, Romans six, he's like, what are you talking about? The yeah. good works are good. They're just not good enough to merit yeah. salvation. Yeah. Uh, so for somebody who says that, and I've heard, um, and oftentimes I've heard that exact sort of uh, reasoning from the mouth of people who are like chronic abusers, mm-hmm. spiritual abusers, emotional abusers, Yeah, I've seen it right in front of my face where they're twisting that and saying, well, what about grace? So what about forgiveness? And they they put the onus on on the offended as though now and it's gaslighting. It's, you know, now the offended's coming, being like, I'm sorry, I wasn't gracious enough. So what I would say back to that is when when Zacchaeus says this, right, I'm going to restore it fourfold. Jesus what he doesn't say is, no, no, you're good, Zacchaeus. Don't you remember grace? I'm giving you grace. You don't, it doesn't take all that. You know, he's not saying that. Yeah. He's saying, no, I'm affirming today salvation has come yeah. to this house and we see the fruit of it. Also, when I mean, you think of like Matthew 25, the, you know, we are judged for our works. And, and again, that's not to confuse it with the fact that, or with the, the, 
wrong teaching that our works somehow merit salvation. Yeah. It's Christ's works on our behalf that do. But the evidence, the proof, mm-hmm. the fruit of that is that we, as in Matthew 25, we care for the poor, we care for the stranger, the immigrant, we care for um, you get we, those who need, who are hungry, who are thirsty, we visit those in prison. Like those, that's evidence of the Spirit's work and that salvation has come to this house or salvation has come to this, to this person. Uh, Matthew 7, Jesus, those who say, well, didn't we do all these great things in your name. And he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you worker of bad works, you person who did not do, you know, who lived a lifestyle of harming others and uh, not loving the Lord, not loving people. I never knew you. Um, And so it, I know that that can feel like such a tension or maybe even a paradox or something, but Mm. it's, it, the evidence of grace is that we become people who do value justice as a means to wholeness. Yeah. And it reflects the, the holy and just character of, of our God. So yeah. um, I, get, I get amped up about that sort of response um, when I hear it from people yeah. because I've seen it abu- that sort of response used from abusers multiple times. And, and it leaves the person not only not whole, but now they're carrying unwarranted mm-hmm. shame mm-hmm. Um, for apparently not having enough grace. So the, if you're, you're listening to this and you're like in a situation where you've been sinned against, like actually sinned against, mm-hmm. and you've tried to confront it with the person and you were hit with that sort of argument, I would recommend say it may be saying something along lines look my heart is ready to forgive it, it's ready to reconcile i should say it like that my heart is ready to rec- i want to be right with you yeah i want and i i really do because i value unity in the body i do because i i love christ and he loves unity so i want this to be right between us but until you x y and z whatever the appropriate thing may be for for that situation to be made right it's not repentance and it's really not reconciliation but just know from my heart i'm ready to extend that um so yeah so good yeah as you're breaking all of this down i'm realizing um and i hope everybody that's listening is realizing that unity is messy and it's complicated and maybe somebody's tuning in listening and they're thinking yo this is a lot harder than i thought it would be um, I'm gonna tap out. Uh, what would be your encouragement to have people um, lean into the difficulty, to not tap out, to um, uh, inherit or to take on the call for unity, no matter how difficult mm. it is? Because, like you brought up, the insurrection, um, the racial divide, um, the abuse that's running rapid. There's so many things that are plaguing our communities and in order for true wholeness to take place and restitution to take place it's going to be there's going to be a lot of sacrifice that needs to happen a lot of confession a lot of justice being performed and some can look at that and be discouraged and walk away altogether but what would be your plea or what would be your encouragement to keep people uh, engaged no matter how difficult it is and and to really fight for unity within the church yeah. Um, this is going to sound overly simplistic, but fast and pray. 
mm. like straight up because so, some of these things just don't come out except through fasting and praying. Um, and in that, not just as a performative act, you know, so you can feel better about yourself. It's, it's this act of continuing to surrender mm. yourself to God, ask God to fill you with his spirit. Because again, unity is the spirit's work through us. Um, I've found it helpful, uh, not just to fast and pray, but in that time to pray the words of Jesus in John 17, back to God, interjecting the specific issues within my church or my community, uh, that threaten true biblical unity. So if there's an issue within somebody's marriage, God, you, I mean, I'm praying John 17, like you, this isn't just God help, help them to work that out because that'd be, you know, nicer for all of us if they could work that thing out. No, it's like, this is here. Satan is, is messing around in this area to, to bring division where you want unity and God. And it's the thing about like when Moses is praying, you know, interceding on behalf of Israel, they, I mean, and they're like out here worshiping golden calf and everything. And when you read that, especially after God's given this law and, and redeemed them and done all these things, you're like, how could you? Mm-hmm. And you feel kind of angry at the And then Moses is like, look, if you don't forgive them to just go ahead and wipe me out. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if you don't move, like he's standing in as this sort of mediator. And, and I think obviously he, ref- he's a picture of, of what Christ would ultimately be, but he's also a model and example for us as we see some of these divisions, God, your glory, your fame, your, your name here, uh, your glory, uh, in the, in the eyes of a watching world mm-hmm. is at stake. Not only that Satan is trying to sift us like we, yeah. you know, like he, he wants to shipwreck our faith. That's his goal. Yeah. So God, I know that if, if this situation here, if there isn't unity brought here, reconciliation, justice, all these things that lead to unity, then it's going to be your fame in that person's life that's at risk so jesus you have to you know so ultimately i mean fast pray surrender yourself to god ask him to fill you with the spirit and because again these are these are things that are spiritual these are things that we need the spirit to to do um yeah yeah it's just it's incredibly difficult to please god without god we really need his help uh, and his strength. You, you mentioned, you know, it's about the fame of God. It's about the glory of God. And so I, I got one more question for you, but um, this idea of unity, why is it important? And, you know, I love that you brought up, you know, it's, you know, God's glory is at stake and our goodness is at stake too. Like this isn't just about lifting the name of God, but really it's for our flourishing as well. But why is unity something um, that we should treasure, and why is it something that we should hold valuable in our community, in our context, wherever we may find ourselves? Yeah, it again, it helps to have that biblical vision um, that we've already mentioned. But basically, first and foremost, it's important because it reflects something true of God. Mm-hmm. Secondly, it's His ultimate purpose and plan to unite all things under Christ. Mm-hmm. So, if we want to be, you know doing what God does and being like God, then we would pursue that same thing as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, because, it, and then again, John 17, it, it says something to a dying world that Jews and Gentiles can be together, that yeah. black and 
white people can can be together genuinely loving each other again not trying to erase their heritage or background having diversity and being so committed to each other and committed to the same cause of christ that's how they'll know that that god the father has sent his son there's something different here so um yeah. And in, if you've had the privilege of being in a community where that is actually being lived out, it does something to your heart. It does something to, wow, like there is something bigger here than, oh, we all like the same sports team or yeah. we all like, you know, the same music. Um, there's something far bigger here when I can genuinely mm. from my heart have brotherly affection for my country music, loving, rural, white brother who I just have nothing else in common that I that I'm aware of except that we love Jesus and we could talk about him all day yeah um that I just does something to your heart you're like man God is real yeah yeah I think like you know growing up um you know I used to think man if we had the right speakers at the at the church at the conference if we had the lights just right and if we had this artist come out man, we'll have a packed house and people will know that God sent Jesus. But again, in this priestly prayer, Jesus doesn't say, you know, make sure they have the funds to bring out their favorite artist. And then the world will know that you sent mm. me. But the greatest, yeah, um, the way that the, the greatest way in which we can evangelize to the world is by having a church be united, being under the banner of God. And so, no, I love that. That's so good. Thank you so much for all the insight that you shared. Um, do you have any last thoughts or any last encouragement that you want to leave the people with um, on this topic of unity? Yeah, sure. Um, if you've been failed by the church, if you've been failed by your community and with regard to unity, perhaps you've been in spaces where unity has been confused for uniformity or where you've you know, there's been real cases of injustice and ungodliness that have been left unaddressed or dismissed. First, I'm so sorry. Um, I've been there and it sucks. Like it's horrible. Um, But go back to the gospels in particular, read what Jesus was like, Mm. smell, almost, you know, smell him, feel, you know, yeah. Taste the flavor of of how he engaged relationships. Notice how he talks to people. Notice what he does. Read some c- cultural commentary so you can see how radically different um, he was, you know, uh, in so many ways or, or counter-cultural or other cultural he was um, to his time and fall in love again mm. with who God actually is. I, I mean, I just was, re- I think around the time I was writing this article for the, the unity piece was, I think I had just finished Leviticus. And a lot of times people are like, man, Leviticus is like, I just got to get through it. Cause it's just a bunch of these laws and blood and sacrifices. And, mm-hmm. and I actually left really encouraged this time because I was like, man, God, you, you really care like about the oppressed. Like you really care about people who get victimized. Like you, you set up laws. I just really started to see the law as like a beautiful thing. So, and then obviously Jesus reflects, it perfectly explains the father. He, he reflects the heart of God and the way that he lives and moves and breathes and how he acts and moves through the world. So fall in love again with, with Jesus and, um, 
you know, obviously prayerfully pursue, don't, don't take yourself away from, from community. Sometimes you have to leave one to try to find a healthier one, but um, yeah, fall, fall in love with Jesus again and prayerfully seek out community. Oh, last, sorry, this is the last thing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together, he talks about um, the importance of experiencing disillusionment with community. So he's basically like, look, you get into community, you have all these ideals. You're reading Ephesians and you're like, this is how it should be. You're reading Acts and you're like, this is exactly how we should be operating. And then you get to an actual real community with jacked up people like you and me. And you're like, this isn't what? (laughs) Like, and you get this disillusionment and Dietrich Bonhoeffer's like, good. Mm. sit with that a little bit because if you're actually more harmful to the community but like coming and and being constantly like critiquing every little thing um then if you were to say look we are this messed up and we are you know we are this fickle and i need to seek god more and i and this is now my opportunity to to do all the one another's in scripture love one another forgive one another Again, that's not to be dismissive of real, like, you know, sweeping evil under the rug type of situations that that happen or, or anything like that. But um, yeah, c- continue to pursue community, but especially when it gets difficult, run back to falling in love with Jesus because um, that is he's ultimately your hope. Yeah, so good. Yeah, ultimately we're following him, and uh, right. Yeah, no, that's so good. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much. And also, just shameless plug, uh, you just came out with a book called Love Gave. Yes. Um, yes. Where can they pick that up? Because I really encourage everyone to pick that up and read that and um, enjoy that. Thank uh, you. Yeah, where can they find Love Gave? Pretty much anywhere online. So Amazon, I I know right now TGC, the Gospel Coalition is doing a sale for it for Easter. Um, but yeah, I mean, anywhere online, christianbook.com, Barnes and Noble. Yeah, pretty much anywhere on Lifeway, anywhere online where you can buy books, you can do that. If you go to your local bookstore, they can order it for you as well. So yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kina, for joining us. Thank you for lending us your wisdom and your time. Um, I'm better for it. I know our listeners are going to be better for it. Um, And until next time, family, uh, peace and grace.